Did you ever wonder how a medicine is made? Who are the people who actually figure out if it's going to be a pill or a liquid? And why the heck can't all medicines come in gummy form? Find out today on Things That Make You Go, Huh? Things That Make You Go, Huh? My name is Brett Hellman, and I work at a biopharmaceutical company called AbbVie which means that I'm surrounded by a bunch of scientists saying very sciencey things all day long. And the funny thing is, I actually have no background in science. So if I was in high school and I was taking a science class, I would probably be getting an F right about now because it was a very hard topic for me to understand. And my previous career, believe it or not, was in what I like to call fake science or fake medicine. No, Barbara. I'm very much alive. So that's right. I worked for 15 crazy years on the soap opera As the World Turns. Some of you may or may not know what that is. Um, but I was uh, living in a fictionalized town, basically, that uh, had people coming down with serious illnesses uh, one week and then miraculously recovering the next week. Um, and oftentimes a villain would fall off a cliff, you know, plummet to his death, and then he would like resurface two years later with minor bumps and bruises. It was that kind of uh, goings on. So this may have you uh, wondering how on earth I found myself working for a biopharmaceutical company, but that's actually a story for an entirely different podcast. So um, just getting into working here at AbbVie um, now, I, I'm continually faced with really just complicated concepts and, and words that literally sound Greek to me, like a, a foreign language, right? Basically things that make me go, huh? You know, I often say that to myself, like, what is going on here? So um, I took it upon myself to say, you know what? I work at a biopharmaceutical company. The world is my oyster here. Why not approach some of my colleagues, right? And find out what they're talking about and try to have them simplify <laughs> some of the most complicated topics that I have to deal with on a daily basis. So. Um, uh, I've roped in a couple of guests today that are going to help me try to understand um, how a medicine actually gets made. Um, and by that, I mean, what is the actual process, right, that results in a capsule I take? I buy a capsule you know, over the counter at a drugstore, and, and what goes into that process of making that? Or if I have a cold and I take a liquid medicine? And we're about to find out how this all unfolds. So with me, I have two people today who are going to help here. One is by the name of Brian Anderson. Brian's sitting right here in front of me. Brian, can you tell me who you are and what you do? <laughs> well, so I'm Brian Anderson. Uh, I'm the director of drug products for AbbVie's uh, operations group. So my group uh, handles all of our drug products as they go from R&D into commercialization. And then uh, we support products for the life of uh, the life of the product, as as we manufacture and distribute. That sounds pretty serious business there. Um, Nancy Seaver, we have here with us as well. Nancy, can t you tell us who you are and what you do? Uh, my name is Nancy Seaver. I work in the R and D organization at AbbVie. Uh, my group is called the CMC Product Development Director Group. Um, our group is responsible for managing programs um, as they go from early development, um, just about discovery, um, through uh, commercialization. Thank you, Nancy. That sounds very interesting. Um, could you expand on that a little bit more for us? 
if you look at the, the beginning uh, of how uh, a drug or um, a medicine is developed, it starts in a discovery group, and that group is charged with identifying molecules that can um, address certain targets, certain disease areas. And so once that molecule is identified, um, then it enters into development. And that's where um, our group comes in. And we are charged with taking that molecule and figuring out how to give it to patients. So how do you make that molecule into medicine that people can buy at home? And so to make that happen, we do a lot of work, a lot of research, a lot of um, data analysis, a lot of clinical studies where we actually test um, the medicine in people to make sure it actually works. And once we find that it works and it does what we need it to do, uh, we could file a regulatory submission. So the government has to agree that we can sell this medicine to people. Um, and at that point, we transition it to Brian's group. And so my group takes over and converts that from a small-scale process that they've used in development to a full-scale commercial process to make the amount of material that we need for, uh, for the number of patients that we hope to serve. And then we support the product as we continuously improve it throughout the life uh, of the product. And as challenges come up, there's always problems as you're manufacturing. Um, so our group supports all of the technical aspects of that. That was actually really helpful. Thank you very much. Do you, is this what you guys wanted to be when you grew up? I always really liked chemistry, um, and I liked the idea of helping people, and I think that's what brought me to a pharmaceutical company. It kind of combines those two things together. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and my background's in chemical engineering, and so I, I've always enjoyed both the more mathematical aspects of problem solving as well as some of the hands-on, mm -hmm. um, you know, real tactile uh, things, you know, taking radios apart as a kid and things. And so this kind of a job anyway allows you to do both of those things of, you know, really support something that has a tangible benefit to, uh, uh, to people uh, as well as um, exercising your, your mental skills. Okay, so we're going to get started with some uh, complicated questions here that I'm hoping you can help me understand. <laughs> um, so I, I, the first question I had is, um, let's say a company has just discovered a medicine, right? So at what point in the process, I, I guess my question is, at what point in the process does the discussion turn to how is this medication going to be delivered or administered to patients? Sometimes that discussion happens before the medicine's even found. Um, a lot of times for uh, AbbVie, we have th th certain therapeutic areas that we're mm -hmm. focused on, right? I mentioned this discovery group that's uh, trying to identify a molecule. Really, before they even start looking, there's kind of a, a product profile that they're trying to achieve. So there is a, a sense of there's a medical need, right? There's a, a, a sickness, a disease that's out in the population that doesn't have a cure right now. Um, and so we're trying to address that medical need. And a lot of times the dosage form of how that is going to be addressed is kind of already predetermined. And it actually goes into how we identify that molecule. So if I know it's going to be an oral product, so it's going to be a pill that somebody takes, I'm going to target certain kinds of molecules that will make that possible. Do, does a certain, do certain molecules work better with a pill as, a Ford, yes. as opposed to a liquid or a biologic or something? Exactly. So some uh. molecules don't work as a tablet. They have to be an uh. injectable, right? And so certain molecules um, the other way. 
would not work as an injectable. There certainly are uh, products that are coming to market on a you know, yearly basis that are so life-saving and, and so impactful to the patient where the, you know, the dosage form may be less, less critical. And then there's other cases where you, know, you really need a dosage form that is easy to take and um, mm. you know, has a, a, a much better profile for the patient. So it, it's definitely a case-by-case. Case. Yeah, and there's definitely a, a hierarchy in terms of what is a preferred dosage form versus another. So um, generally, it's perceived that a tablet or a pill is the easiest form most amenable to most people. Um, maybe you can even argue um, liquid or tablet, depending, okay? Um, and then anything that's an injectable would be kind of uh, a little bit less comfortable, mm -hmm. right? Requires yeah. a little bit more for the patient. Something that is injectable every two weeks would be less burdensome than something that's injectable every day. And then, you know, there's kind of an, an extrapolation to something that is continuously infused, mm. right? Mm -hmm. so, so there's kind of a hierarchy. And, and from a patient-centric perspective, we strive to make it as easy as possible for the patient. But sometimes it's dictated by the indication and the molecule mm -hmm. and the therapy that you're trying to achieve. If you had your druthers, would it just be a pill one time a day kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. You know, but yeah. it doesn't always kind of work out yeah. that way. Or maybe it's one pill once a month. I mean, maybe that's that's even easier, right? And so, yeah. and sometimes even with those, it. there's a, a balance because, uh, you know, what we're really trying to achieve with a lot of that is around compliance, right? So, right. if you have a, a medication that has a particular dosing regimen, it is most effective if you follow that dosing regimen. And so, if you end up with you know, a, a dose that was once every six and a half days, then you yeah. know, you're, you're much less <laughs> likely than yeah. every day actually has some benefits over uh, That's interesting. Uh, some yeah. others. I didn't think about that. My next question would be, how, a me how, how is a medication made? So in layman's terms, how do you actually get the medication into a pill or liquid form or, or whatever form it's going to be in? Yeah, so there's a lot of steps that go into that, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk about a couple of them real briefly here. But really, the first step of that is to come up with the the molecule itself, and that molecule can either be, uh, you know, a, a small chemical molecule like you'd find in Tylenol, um, or it can be a very complex molecule like a protein that's found in um, insulin. And so, you know, depending on how the the molecule is shaped, and I think you know Nancy had talked about the the discovery that goes on and, and how, we, uh, how we try to identify those molecules, but depending on what the synthesis route is, whether it's a fermentation or a, a, a biologic or a, uh, a small molecule synthesis, there's a, a series of steps that take place to develop that uh, process, purify the, uh, purify the chemical moiety, and, um, and, and get that into a form that can be turned into a, a final dosage form. Uh, you know, that's usually on a small scale that happens very early on. And then that's about the time that it, uh, it starts to enter Nancy's shop of uh, how the formulation is, is developed and how that goes. Do you want to discuss that a little bit? Yeah, so there, there's actually different aspects from a manufacturing perspective to also keep in mind that are related to the dosage form. So if it's an oral, like a tablet or a liquid oral solution, um, it's manufactured under um, certain guidances. We call them GMP. Um, if you are now making something that is an injectable or infused or anything like that, it's manufactured under aseptic conditions. So that's actually really important in how we make 
the drug. Um, if it's something that is um, taken in under the skin or as an IV or anything like that, then it has to be sterile. So we have to make sure it's microbe-free, right? No mic microbial contamination or anything like that. So it's very sophisticated manufacturing. How, I guess that spawns two other questions for me, which is how long does it take when you decide that you're going to go move forward with it and then to it actually like hitting the market? Can it, I mean, it, it must... It varies, it varies. Uh, widely. Um, I think anywhere from four years, maybe yeah, on the short end. Absolutely the, the fastest. Like the thing. fastest possible, and then it could be up to eight, nine and years on the long end. Wow, that's, that's interesting. Wait, how many hands like touch, not t physically touch it, but touch that say product from inception to market as well is it like hundreds of oh, is it going thousands, through different departments different departments you're, you're talking to the two, two. So right. that's it. <laughs> oh, it's just those two right yeah. no it's, no, it's, it's thousands. thousands that's, wow, yeah. that's crazy because um it, there, there is the the technical development but there's also everything that goes around it right yeah. so we mentioned um regulatory so there's a huge aspect of drug product development or drug development that is making sure that you assemble the right data package such that a regulatory agency like FDA would say, yes, we agree that the drug that you have developed is safe and it, it does actually address this medical need that we have and it will treat patients as you have indicated and yes, you can sell it in the United States, right? So there's a huge kind of, in addition to the actually making the product, mm -hmm. there is uh, the documentation that goes yeah. with it. Um, and there's also, there's the consistent manufacturing, the quality controls that we have in place. There's a whole commercial organization yeah. that is definitely part of the story that we tell. Um, so, and we have an entire supply chain, and yeah. I mean, there's a there's a large number of people that it just going into manufacturing and distributing the product, and then upstream where you know where Nancy's group sits, you know, even before it has even made it to market, several hundred people have worked on it for sure. Uh, and so, what are the different forms it can be in? You mentioned some before, so a pill, right? Yeah. Tablets, oral solution, capsule. Capsule. Those are all orals. Injection. And, and, and infusion is like a, like an IV, is mm -hmm. that? Infusion could be an IV mm -hmm. or it could be a subcutaneous infusion. Mm -hmm. So something like an insulin pump. Ah, uh, okay. There's topicals, you know, the topical yeah. creams. And there, there's... Transdermal Yeah. is, a, is another. Ocular what's, what's transdermal? Oh, so that's where you have a patch. Oh, like a nicotine patch? Yeah, like a nicotine patch. Oh, okay. So you have all of these different um, forms of medication, capsules, injections, infusions, but what um, informs the decision to place it in a specific dosage form? I guess, it, does that make sense? Yeah, so there's there's multiple things. I'll list a couple and I'm sure Brian will come up with a few more. Um, so first it's about um, that molecule and how stable it is. Um, so ideally if I develop a molecule that is targeting a certain disease state, I wanna make sure that when the patient actually gets it into their system, it's still in that same form I originally made it. So that's what we mean by it's stable, okay? So the molecule hasn't changed as I've manufactured it and stored it and distributed it and then gave it to the patient and they ingested it. And that's crucial, right? Yes, the it's the really molecule always has to stay yes, in the state. Exactly. Okay. Um, and so multiple parts of those steps can contribute to it changing. So for example, let's say that molecule um, is um, heat sensitive, 
or it's uh, tem uh, temperature, just same thing. Um, it, it is sensitive to uh, the environment that it's in, or it is sensitive to compression. So if I take that molecule and I make try to make a pill out of it, and I have to apply a lot of force, right, compress. So it, it may not allow you to do that. Um, that also that same molecule may um, not be soluble, so it doesn't dissolve. And mm. so if it doesn't dissolve, then I have to, on its own, I have to provide it already as a solution. Oh. So, so I couldn't put it into a tablet because it won't dissolve, dissolve on its own later on. So mm -hmm. I, I provide it to you as a solution. Okay, so then let's say I'm in that category where I have to provide it to you as a solution. It's possible that I'd provide it to you as a solution, you swallow it, it gets into your stomach, it's a very low pH environment, it destroys the molecule. Well, that didn't accomplish the task. So now I have to provide it to you as a solution, but I'm going to say you have to inject it. Because mm. that's the only way that molecule stays intact so that it can do the job that it's supposed to oh, do. That's interesting. So, so it has a lot to do with the physical chemical properties of that molecule, what it can and can't do, but the ultimate goal is to get it to the, into the systemic circulation or to the targeted delivery area in the state that I first made it at. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see why I failed in science in high school, but <laughs> that's very interesting. And, and actually, I can understand it the way you're saying it. But wow, that's yeah, pretty cool. Others? Well, I think how, how available the molecule is and where you want the absorption to occur. So, you know, the other thing is different, different drugs have different um, absorption windows within the gastrointestinal tract. And so depending on what, what formulation you use and, and what form the, the product takes, there's different delivery mechanisms that can be used. So, you know, uh, some of the things like Nancy had said, liquids. So liquids are fairly hard to have controlled release, had to have a, a delayed response. But uh, tablets and capsules, there's the ability to do that. Yeah, so, and then um, maybe one other aspect to just think about, and, and people I think are familiar with this. Oh. Some medication is taken once a day. Some might be twice a day, three times a day. Well, that's very much dictated in how your body processes that molecule. And so if the body processes it quickly, um, then I need to provide it more often. If I process it slower, then I provide it less often. And so that could also drive the difference between a once a week injection or a continuous infusion, mm. right? So that can kind of dictate how I have mm. to deliver it so that it, it maintains whatever the state is that I'm looking to do. I just thought of something, which is when you were talking about um, the capsule. So I'm just curious, they sell like on the, uh, when you go to a drugstore, they'll sell a liquid capsule yeah, yeah. or a, a, a hard capsule. Is one get into your system faster than the other? Because I always feel like the liquid one gets into my system faster, but I don't know if it's it a is. psychological thing. It is, but it's not that much faster. Yeah, it's, so it's why, why, do they, why, do they have, yes. why do they have both options? Because well, some so people for, prefer it, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, we're, we're in a, a, you know, a biopharmaceutical company that addresses um, very challenging unmet medical needs. And so we're not really in the consumer uh, ah. pharmaceuticals. Um, what you're talking about are more of the over-the-counter consumer pharmaceuticals where patient preference and, you know, uh, I, I'll, I'll admit I like the liquid caps instead of the yeah, solid tablets, but that's, that's just my thing, right? That's not, yeah. it doesn't actually make much of a difference. The difference that. will be like 10 minutes. Oh, really? and it'll be like uh, variable yeah. depending on people. But the other piece is um, swallowability, I think, is okay. different if you go with a standard tablet mm -hmm. versus a soft gel. Yeah. Um, I think some people find those swallow easier. Um, okay. So that could be another reason to have the options. Okay, cool. Why has no one made a children's cold medicine 
in a chewable or better yet, a gummy form for kids to take. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> One thing that really is critical is patient safety. And you know, a lot of times you know, there's a fine balance between um, making something aesthetically pleasing and um, tasting good versus uh, safety risks that go along with that. I know, and I'll, I'll just speak as a parent instead of as a, uh, a pharmaceutical employee, but if there was a gummy candy that had acetaminophen or something like that in it that, uh, that also tasted really good, I, I wouldn't want that around my house because that, you know, that just is asking for, for some kind of a mm. issue. Yeah, no, that, that's, I, I was going to say abuse is something that we're very conscientious about. And, and that's why a lot of times medicine in general, kids or adult, doesn't taste good. Mm. You, you take mm -hmm. it because you need the medicine, right. but you don't want to be abusing it and, and taking too much of it or sharing it. Hey, this this really good, yeah. buddy. You have yeah. some. You know, I mean, that's not what it's designed for. Okay. I've taken my kids gummy candy, no, like gummy, gummy, gummy vitamins, vitamins every now and then because they, <laughs> they do taste good. And I'll, I'll add one more reason for why not use a gummy bear. Um, a lot of times um, medicines don't taste particularly good. And so if you um, provide it in a gummy form and somebody chews it in their mouth and it sticks in their teeth, it's probably not going to taste very good. Yeah, that's um, so making sure it's in a capsule or a tablet that's often film coated uh, prevents the taste in the mouth. Oh, and wow. so that's interesting. Okay, Brian, so I got a question for you now. Yes, sir. Which is, um, we're talking about this capsules or um, infusions. So how do you make it on such a large scale, right? Because you're delivering it to a, l a large group of people, so. Yeah, and you know, with uh, different therapies certainly have different uh, market sizes. And you know, fortunately, some of the oncology products that we have are a little bit smaller uh, for the betterment of the community, it's good that the, that's a smaller number, but then there's a lot of things that uh, impact a large number of people. Um, you know, some of the kidney diseases or thyroid problems that, uh, that, that actually impact a large number, and the amount of uh, tablets or capsules that we have to make is, is fairly substantial. Um, you know, there's a, a whole infrastructure of manufacturing around that. It's a, a very specialty manufacturing. I think, you know, Nancy had highlighted a little bit before the sterility that goes into some of the injectables and, and infusions, um, and that's a very specialty manufacturing process. Um, you know, even on the uh, small molecule and, and fermentation side where, where we're making molecules that, uh, you know, are not all that dissimilar from other chemical uh, moieties that, you've, that, that have been made for, for other applications, but we make them under very tight manufacturing controls and uh, to ensure a very high level of quality. So uh, the, the manufacturing itself occurs in you know, large stainless steel containers and, and large stainless steel um, uh, manufacturing equipment. It's quite impressive to see. Uh, I, I still enjoy seeing uh, the, the end product come out, but usually the, um, the chemical itself comes out as a powder or in some cases as a, uh, a frozen liquid and then formulated into tablets, capsules, what have you. Um, and, and those are compressed or, or filled into, uh, into capsules, again, uh, using very specialized manufacturing equipment and um, very tightly controlled processes. Um, you know, I'd encourage people to, to look and see how these are you know, manufactured. There's some nice videos online of, of uh, pharmaceutical manufacturing. It is, it's a, a pretty impressive uh, set up and, and really takes a lot of specialization and skill. 
And um, it, it's tested kind of throughout the manufacturing process. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, Brian mentions controls, but we, we do evaluate at various intermediate steps, um, as well as the very end. We test the final product and make sure it's meeting all the specifications that it's got to meet. So yeah. it's a very tightly controlled process. Okay, guys, it looks like we're close to being out of time here. So this means that I have to put my money where my mouth is and see if I really learned something from you guys today. Um, I hope I did, so I hope I don't disappoint, right? Um, I have my producer sitting here next to me and I'm gonna have her set the clock for one minute and then before the buzzer goes off, I need to answer my original question in under a minute, which is how in the world is a medication made? Okay, here goes people, start the timer and go. One, uh, you have to discover a molecule. Uh, two, figure out the best way um, to deliver it so that it doesn't get messed up. Uh, three, a medication can come in a variety of forms. It can come in pills or, or capsules or infusions. Um, four, take into consideration safety and make sure it's not easy to abuse. <laughs> I don't know, that sounds funny. Uh, five, keep in mind the best way to deliver a medicine uh, for a specific need. Do I still have time? And last, um, the reason you can't make all medicine in gummy forms is that you want to make sure that people don't abuse it if it's too tasty. Um, okay, wait, so did I pass? Uh, I yeah, yeah, I, I think, think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe B plus. A minus. Oh, A minus. Yeah. Wow. Being nice. generous. Oh, great inflation <laughs> going on. <laughs> much better than when I was in high school. <laughs> um, I just want to say thank you guys so much again. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Nancy, uh, for speaking with us today. It was a lot of fun, and I learned a lot. So. Um, just make sure to tune in next time for another episode of Things That Make You Go, Huh? Things That Make You Go, Huh?